Welcome to the bonus material of How in God's Name Should I Vote? I'm Andrew Palmer, and in the midst of pulling together the content for the podcast, I got to speak with some really inspiring people. Today I chat with Waka Waka Woman and Common Grace Ambassador, Brooke Prentice. I first met Brooke at the Beyond Festival in 2015, where she led us in a moving ceremony on the lawns of Federal Parliament, remembering the names of Aboriginal men and women who had died in custody. Brooke would speak their name and then clap her clapping sticks and we would be silent for five seconds. This ceremony lasted almost an hour. We then sang the song written by Kev Carmody and Paul Kelly from Little Things, Big Things Grow. I stood behind three Aboriginal women elders as we sang, including Auntie Rosalie Kunoth Monks, who in 2015 had been declared NAIDOC Person of the Year. And through the chorus, they clasped their hands to their hearts and then threw their arms open, welcoming all of us into family and country. I wept. In this interview, Brooke says, every Aboriginal person is always born with an innate sense of seeking justice because of the reality of injustice. Hers is a call for Australians, whether ancient or modern, to come together to find a way forward that honours the past and the present and has hope for the future. Enjoy getting to know Brooke Prentice. Brooke, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Brooke, you've spoken before about the struggle to reconcile your faith in Jesus and your Indigenous identity. How has that played out for you? Yeah, well, I guess struggle is an interesting word. Um, It hasn't necessarily been a struggle. God works that out for each Aboriginal Christian. Uh, I think the struggle has more been with the church coming to a realisation that we can be uh, authentically Aboriginal and authentically Christian. Uh, And so the two um, do go together and uh, God is continuing to bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders from all across these lands now called Australia, which is a really exciting time uh, in our nation uh, and in our nations as over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands now called Australia. And so it's more about the churches uh, letting us lead, listening and learning from uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders and peoples in their communities and uh, coming on a journey with us and understanding of the creator in these lands that we've carried uh, for over 65,000 years, according to science, and um, for some, uh, in terms of theological, that's that's 6,000 years. And so, um, you know, we can uh, hold that tension. And I think uh, as we lead into this conversation, I think that's part of what needs to happen. How do we come together to talk about these things as friends uh, and to talk about Australia and what's happening in Australia today as friends and what's happening in the church Um today as friends, and friends being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and and non-Indigenous peoples of all cultures uh, that now live in these lands now called Australia. I think it's incredibly humble of you to even articulate that you ask to lead in the context that we're in. Where have the blockages been? I mean, you just have to look at any... Christian conference uh, in this nation and how many Aboriginal people are keynote speakers, uh, are leading Bible studies, are uh, participating in workshops. Um, 
there's a couple of Christian conferences, but many the door is still closed for us. And uh, I've met with those Christian conferences where the door is closed with uh, our leaders and our elders uh, who have, you know, decades of experience in ministry and, um, you know, the graciousness and generosity we still have to uh, come to the table with uh, is something that I'm grateful my elders continue to teach me. But it's also, um, you know, as a person, uh, as a citizen, as a Christian in this country, the fact that we're just not given an equal platform um, is still hard to take sometimes. And it just shows how far we have to go as a nation in true equality, in tackling racism and understanding um, all parts of Australian society uh, and our true history, which Australia still hasn't dealt with. Indeed. Do you think there's still deep misunderstanding, even mistrust around Aboriginal Christian spirituality from the Australian church? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's so much opposition uh, just to doing acknowledgement of country, thinking that there's theological concerns. Uh, But those uh, opposition to acknowledgement of country haven't come from sitting down with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders uh, in that church's local community uh, and Aboriginal peoples in their community. Um, And uh, looking at it theologically, we're now starting to Uh, be trained theologically at the master's and PhD level. This uh, week we had a historic moment after 15 years of uh, Aboriginal Christians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders trying to find a partner um, in any of the theological colleges in Australia. Uh, We finally signed a memorandum of understanding between what we've established as NATES, an Indigenous learning community, which is now a global community. And we thank Uncle Terry LeBlanc for all of his work that he's done. And uh, the founding board of NATES uh, here in Australia is Uncle Ray Minicon, uh, myself and Naomi Wolf. And, uh, you know, that was a historical moment in 2019, uh, theological college is partnering at a master's and PhD level in theology with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. But why has it taken so long is still the question. So whilst you've got this celebrating moment, there's also um, the reality of the the struggle that that has been, um, the racism we've experienced in the theological colleges. We had seven speakers on the night and each one of us talked about um, how hard it's been. And... Uh, Yeah, and I guess my way of dealing with that is just to continue to ask people to come on the journey with us um, and really see what friendship actually means. And for me, that friendship is as brother and sister. And as Christians, we should know what that means. And so I guess that's my hope and my prayer and why I spend time uh, with the church and with Christians uh, trying to make people have conversation with us. How has being a Christian and an Aboriginal woman strengthened your resolve to seek justice for all people? I think every Aboriginal person is always born with uh, an innate sense of seeking justice uh, because your reality of injustice you face as a child uh, and then it's with you your whole life. And so, you know, that's what drives me. I didn't become a Christian until I was 21, but I was still already, before I became a Christian, a passionate advocate for justice. My faith just strengthened that uh, because I learnt of a, a man 
named Jesus, uh, who was our greatest social justice warrior the world has ever seen and uh, who understand poverty and power and privilege and riches. And he was a man through love that challenged those um, domains. And so that's what strives me uh, to seek justice and work towards an Australia. My my hope and prayer is an Australia built on truth, justice, love and hope. And so uh, I think we've got a long way to go in um, working towards each of those, but that's what will drive me uh, through my faith in Jesus. That's what drives me. I think we do have a long way to go in relation to that. So how do you deal with the, the frustrations that come when you have such a clarified vision around justice, which is deeply informed by your identity as a follower of Jesus and your identity as an Aboriginal woman, and you see the church falling over so consistently in relation to basic justice issues, let alone more complex issues. How do you deal with that frustration? I pray, (laughs) and I know that I walk these lands now called Australia with Jesus by my side. I cling so tightly to him and his love, um, and his love for all peoples. And uh, every time I see a person, I know that I'm looking at Jesus and, uh, and also the lands and the waters. And I guess that's where, uh, the Aboriginal understanding of creation, but it should be our Christian understanding of creation that we are stewards, custodians, uh, of God's wondrous creation. And for over 65,000 years, Aboriginal peoples, uh, had that clear law passed down from the creator. Uh, and in the last 250, 230 years, the damage and disruption that has been done and, And we can see that, you know, we look at the Murray-Darling system uh, that has given life for over 65,000 years and now that river is dried up and the Aboriginal peoples don't even have the tools in how to deal with that situation. Uh, And so we have to come together as a nation to look at these things, whether it's climate change or or um, man-made interference uh, with that river system. Uh, we've really got to pay attention. And this is God's creation speaking to us. And I think that's where Aboriginal peoples can, uh, you know, have so much to teach Christians and Australia that, you know, we look um, to the animals and the birds and the lands and the waters and the fish. They all teach us um, and have always taught us. And and we have to pay attention, including to peoples. And I think uh, whilst there's many frustration Um, we have to keep uh, challenging ourselves and not just relying on the media, actually walk these lands uh, and walk with peoples. And uh, power takes you away from everyday peoples. And so we have to have open eyes and open ears, um, open minds. And for me, it's really about open hearts. If we open our hearts, you can see so much bigger. uh, And, uh, you know, I think we start to get a glimpse of how um, uh, Jesus sees what's happening in these lands. It occurs to me that one of the the deep divides between non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal understanding of life is how we operate with and on land. From the perspective of Christian thought, we're called to be stewards of the earth, but the reality within Western uh, history is that largely we have desecrated the earth. We've we've mined its resources, we've chopped down the trees, we've etc. etc. Now that's very different to the way that an Aboriginal person understands land. How can particularly Aboriginal Christian leaders speak into the church around understanding God's call for us to be stewards? 
Yeah, I think it comes back to that central call of love your neighbor as yourself. So, so often in the church, we just talk about that being peoples uh, and that's important and we're still not getting that right uh, because um, whether it's Aboriginal peoples um, or, you know, even our lowest paid workers in Australia, um, I think there's a disconnect in many people in the church. Yes, there might be a focus on homelessness, but our lowest paid workers in Australia. And I think that's where our politicians are are missing um, the point as well, um, because there's many people doing it tough uh, in Australia, and uh, we've got to really understand poverty in this country, and and we haven't. But that love your neighbour as yourself, it extends to your tree neighbour, your animal neighbour, your bird neighbour, your land neighbour, your water neighbour, your earth neighbour, your sky neighbour. They're all of our neighbours. And, uh, you know, the precious gifts that Aboriginal people have um, to give is that we understand that all things are connected. We are all interrelated. Uh, In that Indigenous worldview, there's no separation between the human and non-human. And so... How do we come together as Christians? Because I think there is beauty and generosity um, uh, in understanding that. And, you know, I think, you know, as common grace, we particularly think about, you know, that we're united for the common good, finding common ground and sharing in common grace. And for me, that church, the church should be the place of love and that place of common ground where we can come together to think differently, to see differently, to listen deeply and um, to love our neighbour as ourself. The idea of common grace speaks to a fundamental understanding of justice. And Aboriginal people in Australia have been um, systematically the victims of injustice in our European history to be certain. Where are the areas where you believe we're failing to bridge the gap between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australia? Well, you use that um, lovely word gap uh, and, you know, the political sense of closing the gap. We've had over 10 years uh, of closing the gap and the gap hasn't closed because there's been Lack of acknowledgement, lack of investment, lack of listening to Aboriginal peoples. Many of us have the solutions, but we can't get funding from the government for our organisations, and it's going to many non-Indigenous organisations, including the churches, uh, and they aren't sitting down with us properly and letting us lead. We have amazing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are professional, who are qualified, um, but we're locked out of those discussions and locked out of those tables. And so, you know, we've actually got this language in Australian society that we've had for um, over 10 years now of closing the gap. And still, I would think many Christians wouldn't understand what that means. But the reality that we see as Aboriginal Christian leaders, because we are there with our community and as Aboriginal peoples, that our peoples, Aboriginal peoples are dying too young and too often. And as Christians, where we should be people of healing and hope, and we've got that message to share. But it's not just about evangelism. It's actually about real work, providing real resources for those that have nothing and those that have enough to share those resources and those wealth. And, uh, you know, for me, that's Jesus' message and uh, how we can all learn more. And I think, you know, it's understanding also that, Sydney is the largest community of Aboriginal people in the country. Brisbane is the second largest community um, Aboriginal people 
in Australia. It's then Perth and then uh, Melbourne, basically. And so you've got these major capital cities, but often when Christians think to get involved uh, with Aboriginal people, um, there's so many treks up to the Northern Territory. And my Aboriginal brothers and sisters in the Northern Territory, many of whom I know and Aboriginal Christian leaders up there, um, you know, they, they are doing it tough, uh, but we can learn here and then we can provide resources for all. So, you know, I think it's just about really understanding who your Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander neighbour is. I recently concluded reading a book called The Lamb Enters the Dreaming, which is an analysis of um, Christian mission work amongst Aboriginal people groups, largely in in Victoria um, in the 18th and 19th century. It was a pretty sobering read. It was sobering in part because one of the key areas under discussion was whether Aboriginal people had a soul, whether they were indeed truly human. And, and there was a debate, a significant debate within the Christian world around this issue. It occurs to me that most followers of Jesus that I meet are lovely people who desire the best. They're not well read in relation to our history. They're not well read in relation to thinking theologically. And largely, I think people operate out of fairly admirable motives, but ignorant to some of the key issues. Where do you see that the Christian church in Australia particularly, and Christians individually, are getting it wrong in relation to Indigenous justice. I think where they're getting it wrong is taking that information from the media, the mainstream media. So uh, part of coming on that journey does mean that you have to do your self-education. All of the things that I know, the statistics that I can share with people, that's because I've done the hard work of educating myself. It's not just because I'm Aboriginal. Because I'm Aboriginal, uh, it drives me even further because you're faced with untruths and myths and stereotypes that you constantly have to um, defend and uh, re inform and re-educate all the misinformation that's been out there. And so, you know, there's some simple steps people can take. If you really want to understand, then watch um, the SBS series, which is free online, First Australians. Uh, and I've been encouraging Christians to do that in community, in your life group, your small group, your Bible study. Uh, watch this six-part series and have a conversation as Christians about it afterwards, um, each of those episodes. So that's the SBS series, free online, um, First Australians. Then another foundational book is Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu. You know, the amount of churches and Christians I can talk to that still hold the myth that we were nomadic hunter-gatherers. Uh, and why is that a myth? Not because I've been taught differently, because of my lived experience of my family, uh, where my nan uh, would still travel to country. She had to do it in secret because of the timing that that was. But these are our personal stories that um, are in our living memories. But Brooks Pascoe, you know, it's a myth. We, that, um, we were nomadic hunter-gatherers. We did build houses. We did sew clothes. Um, we had complex systems of agriculture and aquaculture, uh, managing the land, um, farming practices. And so, 
the fact that only in 2019 Australia is starting to wake up to the fact that Aboriginal uh, societies were some of the most sophisticated societies the world has ever seen uh, and founded on the deep-seated cultural value of hospitality. And I think, uh, unfortunately, um, the Europeans took advantage of our hospitality and our generosity. And until we can start to see um, history through Aboriginal eyes uh, and not trying to defend a position of what much of white Australia has tried to defend and actually open up to what the truth is, uh, is really what we need. And I mean, that's why Aboriginal people for decades have been calling for treaty and treaties and for truth telling commission. In January, I got sick of waiting for the government to listen to our cries, our cries. These are our cries for this nation to have a truth telling commission. South Africa could do it. Canada could do it. Why can't Australia do it? Uh, and we've been asking for so long. And so in January, Auntie Jean Phillips uh, and myself and with the Anabaptists of Australia and New Zealand, we held a truth telling commission. And until we tell the truth, then we can't uh, heal. And so that's uh, why it's so important that we do that. And for me, it's we have this truth-telling commission, then we have treaty and treaties, uh, and we work out how the relationship will work in this country between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples in Australia. I think there's deep fear around that truth of what that would mean for um, me as a person who has effectively inherited my my personal wealth is relative to stolen land, uh, and that's a. I think that's a very complex emotion and theological position for a Christian Australian to deal with. Uh, do you think there's broad scale ignorance in the Australian population around the struggles that are still faced by Aboriginal Australians, including the church, or do you think it's something deeper than that? Something something more sinister than that around holding on to power, making sure that we don't lose face, etc. Yeah, I mean, the big question is, and this is particularly relevant for the church, is how did the church, the church is wealthy. How did the church get that wealth? Uh, and when churches were given some of the prime real estate for zero dollars, <laughs> they didn't pay a cent at the very beginning of colonisation. Uh, and that hasn't been dealt with. And when we look at Aboriginal ministry, uh, our Aboriginal churches, there's not that many and they're being closed down or we get leftover buildings that cost more in repairs and maintenance. Uh, and so there's inequality even in the distribution of the church's resources. And so we really have to analyse how today for um, especially non-Indigenous Australia, how is non-Indigenous Australia in its position today? Where did that wealth, prosperity uh, come from? You know, most of the major roads in Australia were built on Aboriginal trading routes uh, and then were built with slave labour of Aboriginal peoples uh, who had their wages stolen, the stolen wages. And if listeners have never heard of stolen wages, please go and look up Dr. Rosalind Kidd's work on stolen wages and understand what happened in this country uh, and that our elders who are still living today had their wages stolen uh, and you know, we've got to think about those things. Um, Aboriginal people keep talking about that and non-Indigenous Australia are like, oh, we've heard it all before. 
but there hasn't been action. And so we will keep telling the story until we can have a truth-telling commission, um, treaty and treaties, and where there can be action. And as Christians, we have a particular frame of reference that teaches us, well, to share your wealth, whether you want to know where that wealth came from or not, but understand your wealth as well. Because I think there's some people that think, oh, I'm not wealthy, but they don't know um, the low paid workers, the underpaid workers, the homeless and the Aboriginal peoples in these lands now called Australia. Let's turn our attention to our election. How can Christian Australians utilise their vote in a way that does benefit to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia? That's a hard one um, because I'm not sure how we can utilise our vote to do that. And I think it's got to come from not just one action of voting. For me, it's actually participating in the political process, in the election process. So I want people to do some education, uh, ask questions, but ask questions of all of their candidates. Uh, I think the time is over where political parties just rely on these policies and we hear the same thing from the media uh, and we need to ask the questions about what truly matters. And as Christians, loving our neighbour, many of these policies aren't talking about loving their neighbour. So let's ask the candidates the real questions. Um, How will they love, how will the candidate of whichever political party or independent, how will they love their neighbour as themselves? How will they love their Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander neighbour? So, you know, uh, where do they stand on treaty and treaties? How will that candidate... Uh, personally uh, work towards closing the gap? What will they personally do if they were elected to parliament? Um, Loving their neighbour who's in a domestic violence uh, situation, who can't, the woman who can't leave her house because she has no house to go to. And if she leaves her house, it will take 28 days to get Centrelink. So is her choice homelessness or to stay in her house? Mm. These are real life issues. Um, Uh, Our climate, Uh, you know, in 2016, I I wrote a piece for Common Grace um, about a vision uh, in terms of the election. I was talking about the Condamine River up in Queensland being on fire. When have we ever heard of a river being on fire? But now we have the Murray and people have stopped talking about this river that's on fire. Um, But now we have the Murray-Darling system, which is a dry riverbed. Uh, And so, you know, where are the candidates going to work in terms of uh, what's happening in our climate and to creation, but also how that affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities? Uh, We look at Northern Australia, we look to the Torres Strait, where uh, people are losing their lands and their homes from rising sea levels. This is happening in our nation. Uh, And people just don't realise, I don't think. But if you talk to and yarn with and know your Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, people's neighbours, friends, then you get to know these stories and we need to know uh, more and more. And then, you know, our asylum seeker and refugee um, neighbours as well. We have a great big land. Uh, There is plenty of room. And so, you know, I think it comes back to your previous question about fear as Christians When we know God is on our side, what do we have to fear? Um, He tells us, do not be anxious, do not be terrified, um, be courageous, um, because our Lord is on our side. And uh, 
he loves all peoples and uh, he wants healing in our peoples, in our lands, in our waters. And so I truly believe all of these things are what God wants. And so what do we have to be scared of? Uh, and so let's really challenge ourselves about where that fear comes from uh, and turn that fear into a love for all peoples, all lands, all waters. In the lead up to this election, there's a lot of noise going on from both sides of politics. Once the election's done and dusted and and, uh, and the public rhetoric settles down again somewhat, what's one practical piece of advice that you would give to Australian Christians and the Christian church in order to keep... Um, uh, the conversation around Aboriginal Australia on the front foot. I think it's important to engage in the political process, but what can we be doing in our churches and as Christians? So that self-education, uh, look at all of the information I put out on Common Grace. Common Grace has been the only Christian organisation in this country that has let us lead as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christians and has amplified our voices because they've let me lead and I've, so I've brought the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders into this uh, organisation of Common Grace. And so uh, sign up on our webpage, commongrace.org, au and get the information straight from us and our other justice areas domestic and family violence uh, people seeking asylum and uh, climate uh, and creation justice uh, and so and then take those information into your churches um, uh, pray about injustice and pray for justice uh, pray for the love that needs to be uh, overflowing in Australia and for the people that are not loved. The racism, the peculiar racism, as Uncle Jack Charles said, that Aboriginal people face, uh, but the racism that's faced by all cultures. Uh, and let's really start to love one another through gracious conversation um, and through uh, an understanding of the true history of this land that isn't just 250 years, but 6,000 years, over 65,000 years, up to over 120,000 years old. And let's really talk about what are the values that we want uh, in Australia and to fight for and that are, are important and that this concept of a fair go for all, it doesn't exist to all in this country and it, it never has from the very first days of colonisation. And so let's stop the rhetoric and let's actually speak truth of love is what I would hope for. And then also in terms of elections and politicians, don't just wait for the election to start thinking about these things. This is every single day. And so whoever in your electorate is elected um, as your representative, uh, ask them the questions. Uh, and if you don't get satisfactory responses, keep asking uh, because peoples out there are hurting and we need your help and your support um, for a better Australia for all Australians, which are the words of Arnie Jean Phillips, one of our great Aboriginal Christian leaders. Brooke Prentice, Christian leader, justice advocate, proud Walker Walker woman. It's been a great pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. If you've enjoyed How in God's Name Should I Vote, you might like to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Andrew Palmer. Thanks to our producers, Katrina Rowe and Liam Denny, and our online content manager, Andrew Morris. Production by Richard Hamwee.